Thanks, Brett. The wind is an amazing phenomenon. I wonder if you noticed it this morning when you got up. I certainly noticed it yesterday in Ballarat when it was icy cold. We can't see it, can we? But we don't question its existence. But we can certainly see the effects of it. If you're in New Zealand this morning, you've seen some water, but associated with those storms, the wind was there, causing those clouds to come across and causing an enormous amount of water to be dropped. You might like the wind because Monday's washing day and you want to see the washing dry. You might enjoy it in the middle of summer when a cool sea breeze comes because it cools you down. You mightn't enjoy it in the middle of summer when it's blowing a northerly at 40 degrees. Sometimes it brings beautiful aromas wafting to us on the breeze. Sometimes, if you've lived out this way this last week or two, it's brought toxic acid smoke that has caused you to wonder what's going on and how that might impact you. Maybe like me, during the week I saw an eagle just soaring gracefully on the thermals. I couldn't see any wind up there, but I could see the impact and the effect that that bird was able to ride upon it. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You people are working through a statement of faith along with all those other documents that was talked about this morning. And we want to spend some time speaking this morning about I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? when I say that I believe in the Holy Spirit. There's three key things that personally and practically I want you to take away this morning. If I believe in the Holy Spirit, first and foremost I believe in personal fellowship across space and time with the living Christ. A relationship with God himself. Second, if I believe in the Holy Spirit... I'm open to be led by his spirit who now indwells me into Christian obedience and service and I expect to see him work and impact and change me every single day. And if I believe in the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to bless him as the author of my assurance that I'm a child and I'm an heir of God. And I can know that to be true. So why is this topic so important? Let me say to you that there is nothing, there is nothing that happens of any significance in any aspect of this world or in our lives without the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon you. So who is this Holy Spirit? As we spend some time thinking about the person and the work of the Spirit. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is God. All the attributes of God we have recorded in God's word as being attributed to the Holy Spirit. He's all-powerful. All through the word of God, nothing happens without the source of power of God being the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We've already said in Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus assures the disciples that they'll receive power through the Holy Spirit. And Paul said to those writing that the church at Thessalonica, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit all-powerful, he's all-knowing. The Holy Spirit knows everything. God has revealed it to us by his Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10 says. And also, it's the Spirit is the one who searches all things, even the deep things of God. And Jesus said to the disciples, as we read, that when the counsellor comes, he'll guide you into all truth. You cannot know the truth without the activity of the Holy Spirit in our minds and hearts. He's all-knowing and he's always present. Brett mightn't have got to this psalm because it's Psalm 139. He's only halfway through the year. But Psalm 139 and verse 7 tells us, Where can I flee? from your spirit where can I flee from your presence the answer is nowhere we do right to sing as Pat encourages to this morning to invite God's presence to be with us through the Holy Spirit but in one sense he's already here and he always is and particularly in the lives of us as we come together But it's important, isn't it, that we acknowledge it collectively together. God's spirit is everywhere. As Brett gave that description from the North to the South Pole in the introduction, every aspect of creation is empowered and held together, yes, by the sun, but it's his spirit of the sun that is the active agent of holding all of those things together in perfect harmony and he's eternal the Holy Spirit as already mentioned in the second verse of the Bible at creation so he was there at the beginning but in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 9 the Holy Spirit is called the eternal spirit in reference to the saving sacrifice of Jesus. Our eternal life comes through the work of the Spirit. So indeed, the Holy Spirit is God. But not only is he God, he's the third person of the Trinity. 
We find the Holy Spirit associated with God the Father and God the Son clearly throughout the scripture. James Packer says, try and understand this Trinity and explain it and you'll lose your mind. But try and explain it away and you'll lose your salvation. This is an absolutely crucial part of what we believe about God and the Holy Spirit. And we see him in creation, as I've already said, in verse 2, the Spirit's there. But more importantly, in verse 26 of chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, God said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity is there in the first book, in the first chapter of the Bible. What about in baptism? In Matthew 28 and verse 19, that well-known verse, we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What about in daily life? We often like to read those benedictions, as we would call them. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you every day. What about in salvation? And we'll talk more about this, but Ephesians chapter 1 is a wonderful chapter in the Bible that teaches us about the Trinity. Verses 3 to 14, I encourage you to read it at home. But considering salvation in all of its aspects, Paul is celebrating the glory of the Father who has predestined in his us in love who has freely given us his grace in the one he loves and of the son it's by his blood that we're redeemed and who is our hope and of the holy spirit who has brought us to faith and who is our guarantee of our inheritance until our redemption no wonder we sing that amazing hymn holy 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 god in three persons, blessed Trinity. So he's God. He's part of the Trinity. And he's personal. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a person. He reveals. He witnesses. He intercedes. He teaches. He can be grieved. And he can be lied to. Now here we have the person of the Holy Spirit. He is God, he's part of the Trinity and he's personal. And we see him at work, don't we, in the Old Testament. We often think of the Holy Spirit just coming in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, as the disciples were waiting in that upper room. But he's there, as I've said already, in creation. And not only in creation, but in the creativity of human beings. If you read Genesis chapter 31, in regard to the tabernacle, Bezil is filled with the spirit of God that enables him to create those wonderful aspects that God required 
to be incorporated into the tabernacle. We see the Holy Spirit inspiring God's spokesman in the Old Testament. Jesus quoted these verses, Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament that enabled and equipped God's servants. The judges and the kings, take Samson for example, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In Isaiah 11 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And I've already talked about Zechariah 4 and 6, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit says the Lord. And it's only by the Spirit that people are evoked to godliness and in the community. Psalm 51, perhaps Brett's read that one by now. David prays, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your presence from me. Or in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. Or that beautiful picture of the wind at work again in Ezekiel 37, in that desolate valley of dry bones when the wind blew and all of a sudden the rattling came and the bones came together and the sinews came on the bones and the flesh came on the bones and then there was life within those bodies as the Holy Spirit recreated life within the people of God. And then in the New Testament, all of this gains such deeper meaning where the Spirit is shown and taught to be the direct personal agent distinct from the Father and the Son and is spoken of as the Spirit of Christ, both in Romans 8, 9 and 1 Peter 1 and verse 11. So there we have the person and a little bit of his work in the Old Testament, but let's spend some time very specifically focused on the work of the Spirit. What is the work of the Spirit? Primarily, Jesus teaches us in the passage that we read in John chapter 16 that the key to understanding the work of the Spirit is to see that his purpose is the same as the Father's and that is to see glory and praise come to the Son. The Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit is the spotlight, like one of these, whose primary purpose is to shine a light on Jesus so we know and understand and come to personally experience new life in Christ through Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit was active in Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. Jesus wouldn't have come if he hadn't have been conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's dove-like ascent at Jesus' baptism showed not only was Jesus a spirit giver, but Jesus was spirit-filled. Luke 4 and verse 1 tells us that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. 
And as I have already told you in Hebrews 9 and verse 14, it was through the eternal spirit that Jesus offered himself in sacrifice for us. So the Holy Spirit acts as Jesus' agent. He's another comforter, the advocate, the encourager, the supporter, the helper. And Jesus said, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. A Christian, a Christian, and I trust all of us here this morning are, is someone in whom lives the Holy Spirit. And consequently, at the same time, we have become the habitation of God the Father and God the Son because the third member of the Trinity dwells within us. The Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. How does this really practically work out in your life and mine? How does the Holy Spirit actually do his work? First and foremost, it's in salvation that Jesus is glorified through the work of the Spirit. We experience salvation in Jesus through the Spirit. And firstly, the Spirit convicts the sinner of his sins. He'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Have you ever been convicted? Has there been that time, as Jonathan Edwards writes of the Great Awakening, when ploughmen were working in the fields, ploughing the fields behind the horses and all of a sudden just broke down in tears as an overwhelming sense of their sin came across them and they just fell on their knees before God. Have you experienced the work of the Spirit in your life in that way? Convicting of sin? Or have we been so smug and say, oh no, no, that doesn't matter, I'm okay. One of my colleagues at work that I tried to share the gospel with once, he said, but Keith, I'm a good person. I'm essentially okay. And it's just that sometimes we don't do the right thing, but, but I'm really okay. The Spirit hadn't convicted him yet and brought him to his knees of the sense that, no, he wasn't okay. Have you been brought to your knees? Or do you think you're okay? And you've got it together and you're doing pretty well. Or is it a sense that God's Spirit is convicting you? You see, remember the parable of the lost son? He had a great time, didn't he? Came to his dad, took his money, had a hoot with his friends, travelled round the world, saw everything that was there to be seen, but ended up in the pig pen. And it was only when he got to that point that the Bible records that he came to his senses in Jesus' story. There comes a point, doesn't there? And we pray for our children and for our grandchildren that there will come that point that God brings them to their senses. And that's the work of the Spirit. 
It's not going to be a preacher shouting. It's not going to be some fantastic illustration that all of a sudden brings someone to their knees before God. No, it's the work of God's spirit. Is he at work here this morning? Is he convicting you of sin in your life? And the need to get right with someone or to change that habit to act in a way that shows that the spirit is at work. And secondly, he regenerates us. Writing to Titus, Paul says, he saved us not because of righteous things that we'd done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Regeneration reminds us of new birth. I'm a forester by training. And it's amazing to see fire and the importance of fire in ecology. David Enborough might have talked about that. But you see, the Australian bush is adapted to fire. And eucalypts particularly, in every aspect, respond to fire. Mountain ash, a fire killed. And so they're all dead. You'll see this up in the mountains. But then... They drop all their seed at once and the regeneration comes up like a wheat field. So from the 39 fires you get these beautiful stands. What are they, 70 or 80 years old as you drive up over the Black Spur? But if you're from the Mallee where I come from, the way that they respond to fire, those Mallee trees, it's the big lignotuber, the big Mallee root, which is there in the ground and the fire goes over, burns them out, and then the shoots just come back from that lignotuber. Next year the lightning comes, the fire goes through again and up they come. Isn't it interesting when that regeneration comes, have you noticed the colour of the leaves? It's just vibrant, isn't it? It's a green that is just fresh and lush. Everything is made new. When the spirit regenerates us, I remember a godly Christian lady saying to Heather many years ago, she said, when I first became a Christian, she said, I walked outside and the sky was blue and the grass was green. Everything just had a hue about it. And so we sing in that hymn, don't we? Love with everlasting love. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauties strive. Since I know as now I know, I am he and he is mine. Have you experienced that regeneration? And that time, can you reflect back to when you first came to know Christ, that everything just seemed alive? and fresh and vibrant. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he brings revival. We sang that, didn't we? That we long for revival. And that can only occur through the Holy Spirit at work within us. And the Spirit lives within us. 
He came on people in the Old Testament for specific reasons. During Christ's ministry on earth, the Spirit was with the disciples through the person of Christ. But since Pentecost, everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within them. So Paul could write, and this is a challenge, do you not know? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And everyone, everyone who does or anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Some would say that you can get the Holy Spirit. That comes as a secondary thing. You cannot belong to Christ. You cannot be a follower of his without the Holy Spirit indwelling you and without being baptised by the Holy Spirit because we've all been baptised by one Spirit into one body at salvation. We are to keep on being filled. And it was interesting, a friend of mine, when he became a Christian, because the Holy Spirit dwelt within him, he could no longer instantly, he could no longer blaspheme. He could not use Jesus' name in vain. He said it just went like that because the Holy Spirit now dwelt within him. And the Holy Spirit seals us. At the moment we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives, he actually seals us with the seal of Christ. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We belong to him. It's not a fiction. It's authentic. It's real. And the seal of the Holy Spirit is irrefutable evidence that we belong to him. Do we have that assurance? Or do you keep asking Jesus into your heart again just because you weren't sure whether he actually came in? I think early on when I did, I can remember doing that a few times because I didn't have that assurance. But you see, the Holy Spirit gives us that assurance and that's the third key practical thing, remember, right at the introduction that I said, is that if we believe in the Holy Spirit, we can be assured that we belong to God and that we have eternal security and we have a home in heaven that we can look forward to with great anticipation. So not only in salvation, but the work of the Holy Spirit is here in our sanctification. We're set apart and made holy. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by recreating in us the image of Jesus. How does he do this? He does it when we walk in step with him, when we walk according to the Spirit. So how do we do that practically? How do we walk in step with the Spirit? First and foremost, it means that we recognise that he's master of our lives. 
With Paul we can say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Talking to our daughter Frances last night, She's in Enbar at the moment and she's booked tickets with a friend to go to the military tattoo. Some of you might have gone to the military tattoo last year um, that was here at Docklands. We had friends from Ballarat went down and they just thought it was amazing. What was amazing about it? Yeah. But it was the harmony, keeping in step, the perfection, as it were, of the marching and the music together. And you see, where to keep in step with the Spirit and where to do that by these ways. The Holy Spirit teaches us through God's Word. You see, the Word of God, we only have it because of the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God breathed. Holy man of God wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Do we read it? It's really hard for the Holy Spirit to teach us if we don't read his word that he's inspired. I have the privilege, I'm sure, like a number of you, to do a weekly Bible study through KYB. And I was just so excited. Last term we did Haggai and Zechariah and there are things that I'd not read before about a woman who was stuck in a basket with a lead lid on it. And then two storks came and carried that off to Babylon. And the prophet said, what is this vision? And it was said, the woman, she's sinned. She's been put in the basket and the lid's been sealed and she's been carried away to be dealt with. What a picture of Jesus coming and taking our sin and it being cast into the depths of the sea. Have we been learning new things in the Bible? And this term, we're actually studying the Holy Spirit. If you're doing KYB, you'll know that that's the topic that's being studied right now. But he helps us to pray, to commune with God. In Romans 8 and 26, he says, it says that he intercedes when we don't know what to pray. The Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He searches and knows our hearts because the Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. Do you sometimes feel you don't know how to pray? Just close your eyes and say, Holy Spirit, please pray on my behalf intercede for me in this situation I don't know what to pray for the situation that I've just been asked to pray about but you do and he gives us gifts every gift every Christian has one gift at least that tells us that in 1 Corinthians 12 Why does he give those gifts? He primarily gives those gifts to bring about unity. We were all baptised by one spirit into one body. How are we doing? Are we getting on together? 
We mightn't, we don't have to like each other, but we do have to love each other. And we will have differences. But are you sitting on one side of the church because you don't like sitting next to someone who sits on the other side? Or did you come this morning and you sort of thought, oh, I hope I don't see that person because I'll have to talk to them? If God's spirit is really at work amongst us, he will bring about unity. We don't have to agree, but we do have to love each other. And he produces fruit within us. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I had a conversation with a person from another department this week and we had some very good, rigorous, robust conversation. But I was preparing this sermon that evening and I was challenged. Did I really evidence the fruit of the Spirit in that conversation I had? And I hadn't done anything too out of the ordinary, but it prompted me to ring him up the next day and just apologise for saying, was I too strong in terms of putting my view? And we had a very positive conversation. We pray for a lot of things, don't we? But do we pray for each other that we'll have patience, that we'll control our temper, that we'll be prepared to bite our tongue and be humble. That's the work of the Spirit. Just a comment on the signs of the Spirit. Causes a lot of tension and a lot of challenge. Tongues, baptism of the Spirit, signs, miraculous healings. All of those things the Spirit can and does do. But interestingly, if you read 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9, it says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Satan can imitate all those things too. Can I say to you that the sign, the only sure sign of the Holy Spirit at work within our churches and in our lives is this, that the Christ of the Bible is acknowledged, that he's trusted, that he's loved for his grace and served for his glory and that believers actually turn from sin to the life of holiness which is Christ's image in his people. It's only by the Spirit that we say Jesus is Lord. So like the wind, We cannot fully understand or appreciate how and why the Holy Spirit operates in the way that he does. We can't put him in a box. We can't say we fully understand him. We can't force him to act in a way to demonstrate his power to heal or to do something that we think he should do. But we can say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And when I say that, I can know with assurance that what I mean is I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus and that I'm open to be led every day by the Holy Spirit to be obedient and to serve and I expect him to work in my life each day 
and I bless him as the author of my assurance that I'm a child and an heir of God. Are you happy to say with me, let's say it together, I believe in the Holy Spirit.